This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Well, we, uh, we're continuing through our uh, sermon series in the book of Exodus. Uh, let me just give you a little trajectory for where we're headed, just as far as, you know, outside church and preaching, that kind of stuff. Uh, it, is, it is our intention uh, and by the way, congratulations for coming to church early. Uh, we'll keep our eye out for those latecomers. But it, it is our intention to, to stay outdoors uh, until we believe we can get back to our original meeting space, which is uh, up in the cafeteria there, um, in a, kind of in a safe fashion with capacity and, and all the COVID stuff. So thank you for being patient with us. We've had uh, is, you know little to no complaints in the uh, you know, Amazon customer review department for our outdoor services. So we appreciate you guys, um, you know, packing up your chairs and blankets. I know it's a little bit of effort, but did you even really go to church if you didn't sweat on a Sunday? I don't know. It's just, so the, the plan is just to stay the course outdoors for a little while. You know, our, our leaders, our staff continue to assess, you know, what the future will look like. But for the foreseeable future, we're just going to hang out here. Uh, we will do the 9 a.m. Uh, thing just to try to catch some cooler temperatures for a little while. And then if we need to adjust that later down the road, we'll just we'll get there when we get there. Uh, if you are new to our church, I don't think I've introduced myself yet. I'm Adam Veramontis. I am uh, one of the pastors here on staff, and I get to do a lion's share of the preaching and teaching uh, here at Mosaic. So I get that opportunity this morning. And uh, we typically go through just uh, sections of the Bible or, or whole books of the Bible, and we are right in the middle of a book called Exodus. So if you've brought a Bible with you, or you have an app, I would welcome you to open that now uh, to the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. So there's Genesis, then Exodus, and we are in chapter 20, uh, which for a lot of you will be uh, some familiar words. Uh, they're commonly uh, titled the Ten Commandments, and although uh, nowhere are they called commands, uh, in fact, the way the Hebrew text describes these is they are ten words. Um, and then there's more than 10 words there. There are commonly identified as 10 statements about what life in relationship with God entails. And this morning we're looking at uh, the eighth word of the commandment. And before I read that, which will be incredibly brief, uh, what we've been doing in the past is anywhere that the New Testament might give some just some fuller dimension to this. A lot of time Jesus speaks on these commands um, in the Sermon on the Mount. So we've done that for, the, for those commands. Jesus does not comment on this particular uh, command in his Sermon on the Mount, but the New Testament does. And so I'm also going to be reading a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 28, for the reading of God's word this morning. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and then quickly flipping to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. The Lord says this uh, to his people this morning. You shall not steal. And then Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 says this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray together. Father, we are um, we're huddled around uh, your written and inspired word now to hear from you, uh, not from me, 
Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would that you would take the words of this one man's mouth, uh, that you would make them pleasing in your sight, and that you would take all the meditations of our hearts that are gathered here this morning and make them pleasing in your sight, Lord. Uh, you are our rock, you are our redeemer, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, the, uh, the way the New Testament kind of breaks up these commandments is, uh, you know, Jesus commented on what the greatest commandment is. And his commandment was you know, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then likewise to love your neighbor as yourself. So a lot of people commenting on the, on the Bible will say the first four are kind of the love the Lord your God portion, and the latter six are the, the love your neighbor as yourself. And, and there's some overlap there. You know, all of them entail loving the Lord your God. But I don't know how you've walked away from these sermons over the past, you know, eight-plus weeks. But I feel like sometimes that, that bar that Jesus set, right, of love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength um, feels so... Um, ridiculously out of reach, that most of us do this. Um, well, I'm probably never going to love the Lord with all my heart, and so thank you, God, for your grace, and now I can just kind of conduct life the way I've been formerly living it. And before we look at this text in a little more detail, um, you know, I, I certainly am not trying to lower Jesus' standard here, so please hear me when I'm not, I'm not saying that. But, but what I am saying is that, like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe that love the Lord your God with all your heart is a little audacious for you this morning. Um, but, but maybe you could walk away today saying, you know, I would like to love the Lord with a little more of my heart today. And, and I've kind of taken that framework into my own life. And, and one, of the, you know, one of the things, one of the designs I think God has for us to love him more is actually the local church. Um, this might be news to some of you. Um, I'm not a member of this church. Uh, if, if you didn't know this, uh, we are a Presbyterian church, and, and, I, and I don't intend to give a full you know, disposition, you know, position on what it means to be a Presbyterian. But, but, to, but suffice it to say this, um, Presbyterianism um, is, is, very, is a very structured type of framework for how to do the, the governing or the operation of a local church. And uh, many of you are, are members of this church. And when you make a, a, a vow to membership, what you're saying, one of, one of your vows is that you would like to live your life, and we use this kind of language, as becomes a follower of Christ. In other words, when you say, I want to be a, you know, a member of this church, please make sure uh, that I remain following Christ. And so it's hard for a pastor um, to be held accountable by congregations uh, just by nature of the calling and, you know, some of the levels of respect that are given to the office. And so the way Presbyterianism works is I'm not a member of this church. I'm a member of our regional church, which would be the collective region of all of the churches in New Mexico, uh, the, the elders that are represented there. Again, don't want to get you bogged down in the weeds. But one of the, pro one of the reasons we do membership at our church, and this is important to you, and, and it's been very important in my own walk with Christ, is we believe uh, that church discipline is part of what it means to be held accountable uh, to, to be a follower of Christ. And sadly, um, I've been involved with some church cases of discipline, not, not with my own involvement uh, particularly, uh, but at the higher level, what we call the presbytery level of church discipline. And I have walked away um, from those interactions with, with pastors and elders 
in church discipline, I'm asking, you know, myself, like, you know, I'm, I'm a couple bad decisions away from where they are. Like, that's where I'm at. And one of the ones that's, one of these interactions of church discipline that I was involved with was not here in this region, um, but it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a man, he was a pastor uh, of a very large church. Uh, he was a former seminary president. And the way, you know, public church discipline works is you, you, you know, once you've either been discovered for your sin or you're making confession of your sin, you publicly go before the congregation, as it were, which I was involved in, and you profess what happened. And he was talking about uh, two things that was, was his particular sin uh, that was being addressed. One was an addiction uh, to prescription uh, pain medication. And then the second was theft. And he described um, what he was doing. And what he was doing uh, was he would, when he was visiting with members of, of the church that he was pastoring, whether it be for just hospitality, you know, had pastor and the family over for dinner, or whether it was for pastoral care, uh, what he was doing was he would go into their restrooms uh, and he would open their, you know, medicine cabinet and he would steal medication if he found it. And the way this man, you know, he's been restored to ministry. Um, he, he's, he's in a much better place today than he was in that day. But the way that man confessed openly about not only his addiction to the medication, uh, but the means that he was using to get it, namely, I mean, theft from, his, from the members of his church. Um, I, 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 I was able to see, and this is what I want you to do as we look at this commandment, I was able to see what was kind of underneath the hood of that behavior. Because right, if you've been around Christianity and the Bible at all, um, you, you've been around people who primarily just really want to hone in on the behavior, right? Like, wow, what a scandalous thing. You know, pastor using pain pills and, and stealing. Like, you want to kind of hover on the, the behavior. But, you know, my, my desire this morning and what I was trying to do with this, with this pastor was just kind of lift the hood up of the engine. and say, Like, what is underneath that? Like, if I'm only a couple bad decisions from becoming much like that man, um, what, what's going on under there? And here's what I've kind of discovered what I think was going on in this man's life. And I think it has to do with this commandment, you know, the theft one, was I think he had um, an inordinate amount of anxiety, fear, and doubt in the pressures of his life, namely, you know, being a pastor of a humongous church and all that that comes with. All of that anxiety, doubt, and fear produced in him um, this deep sense of insecurity that God would provide for him. And if you have a heart uh, that has a sense that God ultimately cannot and will not provide for you, you also are only a couple of bad decisions away from being some sort of thief. Um, this commandment um, has everything to do with the ways in which you and I live in the strength of our own resourcefulness. And what I mean by that is you and I have this bent inside of us to try to, you know, for lack of a, a better phrase that came to mind, to like grab life by the horns and just go for it, right? And live out of our own sense of provision and strength and resourcefulness. 
And what this commandment seems to be suggesting is that there's a deeper security offered. That there is a God who can provide for you when you are unable to provide for yourself. And so the way I want us to look at the passage is kind of using some imagery of the Bible. Uh, The Bible uh, talks about people being closed-handed people and open-handed people. And so the way I want to look at this commandment is I want to look at like the negative side of it. In other words, what does, you know, breaking this commandment look like? And, and for that point, uh, we'll, we'll talk about being close-handed thieves. And then the, the flip side of that coin, more the positive side, if you were, is, is what does is, what is keeping this commandment look like? What does obeying this commandment look like? And, and the point for that will be open-handed uh, managers. I'm going to use that language of managers. I'll unpack that in a minute. So uh, this morning, we're going to look at two things, what it, what it means to be a close-handed thief and an open-handed manager. Um, so, you know, the, the commandment's very simple in Hebrew. It's a couple of words. Uh, d- do not steal. Uh, stealing, you know, I don't think you need uh, Merriam's uh, Webster dictionary for this, but it is to take something that does not belong to you. That's the very, you know, upfront definition of this commandment, to take something that does not belong to you. And, you know, for for this first point, I want to kind of just stay at the real micro level. Um, And and by that, I mean, like things that I think might be going on, you know, in this in this in our lives. And so while at the macro level, you know, some of you could be involved with like, you know, embezzlement of work funds or some Ponzi scheme of investors. Like, that could be the case, and I think you'll be able to apply this sermon if you're involved with that. Um, but I'm just going to kind of hover at the lower level, kind of the micro level of where I think most of, our at, most of us are at. Uh, a couple areas also, I, I just feel like this is just a little bit of a, of a footnote that I'm not going to touch on. I just can't be exhaustive. And, and again, I'm, I'm just trying to target us, because I I know most of us, is I'm not going to address stealing out of um, desperation. So, you know, poverty will cause people to steal. I just don't think that's where most of us are at. I'm also not going to address, like, stealing out of addiction, um, which is kind of where my opening illustration was. But I, it could be you, but I just, I don't know if that's here. And I'm also not going to really, like, address, like, the pathology of stealing, like kleptomaniacs. Like, you, you could be out there uh, stealing a lot, but I'm just not going to address those areas, but all that would apply to this commandment. So just going down to the micro level, what does being a close-handed thief, what could it look like? Um, and I've just, you know, I'm just going to shuffle through some bullet points. If I, if I get you, I get you. If I don't, I don't. Um, but I, I, know, I know this is going on with us. Uh, one, one level of, of theft could be just um, taxes, right? Like, I, I know some of you have opinions that, that taxes in and of themselves are theft. We'll save that for another sermon. Uh, but just like, like, you know, fudging numbers or rounding numbers or, or you, know, you know, getting real creative with your write-offs or, you know, whatever that looks like. Like, like taxes, things that, that do not belong to you because the government has said they don't. Uh, you know, you kind of work your way around that in a, in a way. That, that, could be, um, that could be theft. Uh, it could also just be um, like... <laughs> Office supplies. I just, I, I mean, you know, some of you like to, I don't know, you steal staplers. Or, um, you know, you've got access to the closet with, like, the ridiculously uh, uh, priced ink cartridges. Like, those things are so tempting, right? Just toss a couple of those. Like, these feel like victimless crimes to us, right? Like, you know, it's a victimless crime. Nobody's really going to feel 
you know, the pain of me just tossing a couple ink cartridges in, in, in my bag. Um, it could be that. Um, it, it could be, I know this one's going to hit you. Um, it could be the Netflix account that you are not currently paying for. Uh, you know, what, whatever parameters or whatever, you know, app, streaming app that you want access to that you just are not willing to pay for, like that, you know, piracy of software, like that is, that is a form of theft. Um, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, this is more time kind of stuff. Maybe it's, uh, you know, what, a lot of language of kind of old writers was idleness. Maybe it's just an idleness with your time at work. So you're taking time from your employer, right? Scrolling or surfing or whatever you're doing with your time that you know you ought not to be doing. Um, maybe, it, maybe there's like a sense of idleness. Or maybe it's, it's using sick leave when you're not actually sick. You are taking time from your employer that is not yours to take. Forms of theft. Um, is it getting uncomfortable in here? Is it humid today or is this just me? I don't know. Um, bad debt. Uh, you know, there are, there are forms of debt that I think is, is fine and acceptable. I think the Bible has some things to say about debt, but, you know, having a, a mortgage debt or, or even a, a car loan debt, but like excessive spending, you know, cumulative um, just spending on credit cards, you know, living beyond your means uh, without any ability to maybe pay for that. that. That could be, again, taking something that is not yours. Like you, that, that it's not for you. A um, couple more. Um, not only is it, could it be excessive spending, um, it could be excessive saving. Um, so, so think about this. I think uh, the Bible says a lot to say about, you know, saving, giving your children an inheritance. Like, uh, hear me, I'm not, like, promoting communism. But I do wonder if excessive saving is an act of close-handed theft. Because one of the things the Bible talks about is, is you know, God giving us um, things to, to manage. And I don't want to go into point two, but, like, things are supposed to flow through us. And if the buck stops at you, like, if, if the money's not flowing because there's this, this need um, for buffer, what I'll call buffer, right? Like, we all need buffer. Again, please hear me. I'm not saying, you know, dump your savings account, and, you know, have no money and just live like that. But what I am saying is how much buffer is enough? Um, like how much retirement is enough? Because what I think might happen, and, and I'm not retired yet, so, I'm, you know, I'm speaking ahead of myself. But what I think might happen is you might, particularly if you're a Christian, which I'm assuming most of you are, you might say something like, you know, and you might not say this consciously, but you say it subconsciously, like, I'm going to live my life by faith in God, but not in that area. Like I'm going to make sure there's buffer. And not only is there buffer, there's like buffer upon buffer. Just to make sure that the net doesn't fall out there, right? I just, I'm curious if that could be taking something which doesn't belong to you. That's the principle that I think God's after in this command. Is like this close-handedness where the flow stops at me could be a form of theft. Um, last one, and you know, it's it's got to be addressed. And this 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 connects with the last two things I've talked about is just the use of your money. Um, 
you know, what would what would a sermon on theft and money be without mentioning, you know, the one section of of the the Bible that talks about robbing God through tithing, right? Malachi chapter three. Um, I say that tongue in cheek, um, but but here's 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 the truth. The Bible says in one place, you are literally robbing God if you're not being generous with your money, if you're not having a richness towards God. The Old Testament would call that the tithe. The New Testament is relatively quiet on what the tithe is. Here's my, here's my spiel about that, because I, I think it's important. We don't, we don't talk a whole lot about giving. I, I don't mind talking about it, but here's, here's the principle of the tithe. Um, so in the Old Testament, God gives this, you know, this stipulation. He says, just give a tithe, which means a tenth. Give a tenth of everything. And, you know, the religious people took it to the extreme. They were tithing on their spice racks. I mean, they were, they were tithing all of it, you know. You know, gross, gross giving, not just their, or gross take home, not just their take home. And, um, and here was, here's where the religious people missed it. They were doing it out of obligation and not out of opportunity. So here's what, here's what giving does to you. Because what you just heard me say is, uh, well, if you're not giving, you know, a full 10% to the church, then you're robbing God, so give more money to the church. That might be an application of it. I'm not saying that's the only application. Here's what I am saying. Is that giving is actually an opportunity for you to experience what it feels like to be an open-handed person. And, and here's, on top of that, um, I, I think most of us believe that giving is for those we are giving to, whether it be the church or somebody else in need. Actually, what I believe the Bible teaches us is that giving is as much for us as it is for them. Because every time you give, what you are saying, uh, whether it's through an auto-draft or just cash delivery to somebody in need, what you are saying is this money is not mine. I am a manager of this money. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, the, the typical, um, the typical, you know, vein that this, this text will go is like, well, if you give more, you know, God will give you more, right? To, to him to whom much has been entrusted, God will entrust more. You know, that, that might be true generally, I think the Bible does teach that to some degree, but here's, here's what I'd rather you speculate on. Why aren't we more generous? Because here's what most, I would say most of our generosity looks like. How much can I give where it doesn't really affect my life? Like what is the maximum amount I can do where my lifestyle's by and large not affected? And I would suggest that that way of, of looking at giving um, is it's missing the point. Because here's what I think the Eighth Commandment connected to our generosity says. It says, here's why, here's why you don't give. If you want to know why you don't give, here's why. It's because you don't think God's actually going to provide. Because giving is the easiest thing, right, to scratch off the line items. Right? It's a, it's a very non-tangible type of thing. Right? You're not going to not pay your P&M bill or your water bill or put food on the table for your kids, but giving, that could be optional. Like We'll put that at the bottom, and if there's enough, maybe we'll, we'll kind of kick it in. So, so again, fundamentally, underneath all of these forms of theft, from fudging on your taxes to foregoing generosity in your life, all of them fundamentally say this underneath the hood of that behavior. God, I'm not sure you're going to be able to provide for me. And so I've got to provide for myself. God, I'm not entirely sure that you have enough resources to provide what I need. 
So you know what? I will gather the resources that I need to provide for what I need. So that's what close-handed thieves could look like. Let's talk about um, open-handed managers. Um, I had lunch with one of you a uh, few weeks ago. You will remain nameless because I didn't ask uh, to use you in an illustration. By the way, if you ever show up in an illustration of mine, I call you out by name. You've been prompted ahead of time. But I had lunch with you a few weeks ago, and uh, we, you know, this person's been in our church a, a, quite a quite a while, and we'll, we'll we'll check in with each other periodically. And we were just kind of reflecting on the pandemic and how it's changed our lives and how it's changed our church in so many ways and, you know, what, what, you know what's different about us now and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and kind of one of the closing comments that he made in our lunch together, and, and, and it turns out it was a compliment, but I wasn't entirely sure at the beginning, was, you know, Adam, I've, you know, I've known you for a number of years and you've changed so much over the last year and, and all that. And one of the things I've always uh, seen in you is how shrewd you are. He said that. And I was like, I was kind of taken aback by, like, nobody's ever called me shrewd before. So I went home and I looked up what shrewd meant in, in common, you know, nomenclature. And here's what, here's what shrewdness means. I actually wrote it down. It means you have sharp powers of judgment. I was like, okay, that's a compliment. I'll take that. Uh, I have sharp powers of judgment. I'm shrewd. And, the, you know, Jesus, he taught, he taught a lot in, in stories and parables, and he taught um, a parable on shrewdness. Uh, it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 16. It's the parable of the dishonest manager. And the parable goes something like this. I'm paraphrasing a parable, which means it's going to be rather loose. But here's, here's the essence of the parable. Uh, there was a really rich, wealthy man who entrusted a bunch of uh, things and his, uh, his, his land uh, to a manager to take care of. And word traveled back uh, to the owner of all these things that the manager, and this is the way the English translates it, was, quote, wasting his possessions. In other words, I think he was being close-handed with things, whether he was embezzling funds or being loose with his reimbursement plan or, or whatever, you know, taking days off when he should have been taking it. He was wasting his possessions. You just interpret that the way ever, ever way you want. You know, it's a, it's a parable, so it's not to be meant to be literal. But he was wasting his possessions. But the story goes on to talk about how uh, this manager of the owner's stuff knew uh, that, his, that the owner was going to come back and fire him. And he was trying to shore up, um, you know, his future endeavors. You know, he wanted employment. He wanted a place to stay. So what he did was he went to all the people that were indebted to this owner. And he said, listen, how much do you owe? A hundred? You owe a hundred sheep? Well, give me 80 right now. We'll call it good. You know, how much do you, you owe? You owe a hundred? Well, give me 50 and we'll, we'll call it good. So he went around. And what, the, what Jesus commends this manager for in the parable is his shrewdness. He had some sharp powers of judgment uh, when, when times were hard. He knew that, you know, he had wasted away some possessions, but he knew how to get a handle on his future, and he started being a little bit more open-handed with people, right? He became actually a good manager. Things were flowing through him. People were being forgiven their debts, and he was building friendships and all of that. So he, he, he began, you know, to hone in on this, this shrewdness. As we, just, as we just kind of find out round the corner with this commandment, I want you to think about your shrewdness, your powers of judgment in your life over the things that God has given you to be a manager over. 
And that, that language of manager, uh, if you've been around the Bible and the church a long time, the alternative word would be a steward, right? So you've, you've been told, like, we're supposed to be stewards of what God has given us. Well, I would just say a modern translation of that biblical word is a manager. That God has put things under your care not to own, but to manage, and, you know, it's hard to break up all the things that God has given you to manage because it's way more than your money. It's way more than your possessions. And here's the best way I've seen it broken up is he has given you time to manage. He has given you some talent to manage. And he's, he has given you treasure to manage. So your time, you know, the one thing you cannot create more of, God, God is asking you to manage that. Are you being shrewd with your time? And, you know, like, I know, I know you all are just crazy busy. I've seen your calendars on your walls. You know, I, I know how hard it is to get coffee with, with people. Like, and, and I'm busy too. Like, the, the, the events and the activities and the, all the things are endless. And now we're, you know, coming out of the pandemic and we're all just so eager to go and to do and to be busy and all of that, but like, are you being shrewd with your time? Thoughtful? Like, is the idea of, of joining one of our summer groups where we're just, all we're doing is like calendaring a meal together, either weekly or bi-weekly, it's just too much. Like, that, like, if there's no margin for you to have presence in people's lives, you might want to reassess how open-handed with your time you're being. Like if it's impossible to pin you down for a conversation, you might be a little close-handed with your time. Uh, same thing with your talent. So many of you are gifted in so many ways. It's ridiculous. We have so many just like bright, um, ambitious, um, engaging people in our congregation and you all are having you know, great careers and doing all kinds of things that are meaningful in our world. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, is it being used largely to build up your kingdom or are you open-handed with that? Is there a sense of generosity uh, with the ways that God has made you and the gifts that God has given you to look for opportunities to be very open-handed. And I'm, I'm not just talking about the church. Like, I'm not just looking for, like, guitarists. Like, I'm talking about, like, your life in the neighborhood and with the, with the folks you interact with, you know, at, at the sports fields. Like, is there this openness with all of your unique talents for the world? Or is it largely just kind of reining it in for yourself? And then, and then the third category, you know, to think about whether you're being open-handed or close-handed about is your treasures. Uh, you know, this, the thing Jesus spoke most about is money. And here, here's why. Money has a unique capacity um, to have you worship it. Because here, and again, it's not just the behavior. Underneath your love for money is this longing for security, provision. Everything's going to be okay. And the moment you start getting open-handed with your money, 
the thinner that feels for you. But what, you know, what God, uh, I mean, again, he says it. He says, there's one area of your life where you can just test me on this. It's your generosity. There's one area. He says, test me on this. Be open-handed with your money and see if I don't take care of you. Be real generous. Be risky. Like, again, I I don't want to pick on you retired folks that are building nest eggs. Like, I want to build a nest egg too. Like, again, I think the Bible tells us, invest, save, provide for your children. But how much is enough? Like, when does, when, when does the buck stop? Like, why do we feel like we have the need to be the stopping of the flow of money that God, or possessions, or time, or talent, or treasures, all of that? Why, why does that stop at us? There's one more parable I'll share. Actually, I want to share a parable, and then a, just kind of a story from our life, and then I want, I want us to see where Jesus meets us in all this. So there's one other parable where Jesus is kind of addressing the thing I'm addressing, and that is like hoarding the stuff up, right? Like piling it up, and it's, 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 the, uh, it's the parable of, uh, of the rich fool. And the rich fool, again, paraphrasing a parable, is, look, I've got ample goods for myself. I've got so much. I'm doing well, right? 401K looks good. Uh, kids, you know, college funds are funded or they're done with school. Income flow's good. Cars are great. House is almost paid off. Like, we're, we're cruising, right? That's, that's the modern translation of the parable. Life is good. And what does he say to himself? He says, well, I guess I better build some bigger barns. I guess I better save a little bit more, better put a little bit more of the weed away. Um, I better, better build bigger barns so I can eat, drink, and be merry. I better, better do bigger things with that. I better hoard up more for myself. And again, the easy thing for us to do is to attack the behavior, like, oh, how dare he? But no, what he's after, and here's the thing you're after, is a sense of security. Like knowing that everything is going to be all right. Um, we have two adopted, uh, two of our three children were adopted, and part of our, one of our adoptions is we were getting training through the foster care system when we lived in Texas. And uh, we did not end up adopting uh, through the foster care system, but we, we went through a year-long training. And one of the things that was really insightful in this training is they were, they were telling us some of the behaviors of children who are placed in a foster home. And one of the behaviors of children who are placed in a foster home is that they will um, very frequently hoard food. Uh, you will find food under their beds or in their bags or under their pillows or in their closet. You'll find, you know, snacks or portions of dinner. And, the you know, the, the fundamental reason why children who are placed in foster families have this, you know, com- compulsion really is what it is to hoard is because they don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't know when the wheels off this train are going to fall off. They don't know when this family's going to, you know, shuttle them off to another home. They, they, they have no sense of security. They have no sense of confidence that they're being provided for. If you're here this morning and something, like, is stirring there, here's, here's what, what, you know, if I, if I could be so audacious as to put my finger on that stirring. Here's that stirring. The stirring is that you don't think God's going to provide for you. And whether you say that out loud or whether it's just apparent in your behaviors, 
you have a real deep sense of doubt that God's going to provide for you. And here's, I want you to hear this. If you've heard nothing else today, hear this. God is not mad at you about that. Like I think some of you have been around a flavor of Christianity that thinks that God is looking at your bank account or your lifestyle and just shaking his head at you. Like how could you? Like, how could you do, look at all I've given you and look at all you're giving me. Like, nothing could be further away from who the God of the Bible is. Because here's, here's who the God of the Bible, you know who the God of the Bible is? The God of the Bible is the one who is eternally rich. He's the one who made all things in the entire cosmos. And he upholds them and sustains him by his own resourcefulness. He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. He's the one who has a, you know, 10,000 cattles on the hill. He owns it all. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the all in all. He's the everything. And he became a man. He humbled himself to poverty. He had nowhere to lay his head. He lived with no sense of financial security at all. He emptied himself. And then, you know, not only did he live a life of utter humility, poverty, and, and nothingness. Not only did he do that, but then he, irony of all ironies, he goes and he dies. Where does he die? He dies on a cross, which was, was not only the most shameful, public scorning type of death, but irony of all ironies, he dies between two thieves. Criminals. Being put to death for theft of a high degree. And he turns to, to one of them and he says, surely today you'll see me in paradise. To a thief, he looks at him in the eyes and says, I have provided everything you need. You'll, you don't need any other security. You don't need, you don't need money you don't need career advancement. You don't need successful children. You don't need paid off homes. You don't need zero balance credit cards. You don't need new cars, old cars, working cars, broken cars. Here is what you need. You need me. And the invitation for thieves is for you to throw yourself on that security. For you to give your life to one who's given everything for you and to be open-handed and generous with your life because Jesus was open-handed and generous with his life. For our sake, he who was rich became poor. How shall we not now live for him? It's good news for anyone believing in him today. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, it is, it is heavy to hear um, some of the standards of your word. Lord, I know I am a thief in so many ways. But Lord, we also know that you love thieves that you gave all of yourself up for thieves, uh, that you long to commune and dine with thieves, uh, that people who have a hard time managing their lives, 
the time, the talent, the treasures. Lord, we are close-fisted in so many ways. But Lord, we thank you that you are not like us, that you were so open-handed with yourself, that you pinned your own hands on a cross, that you poured out blood on the earth that you made, and that you sealed the security that we all need so that we know that you're not, you're not, you're not mad at us. Lord, would you work these words into our life? We want to be open-handed managers. Help us to manage the life that you've given us better than we, than we currently are. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 